0: Those who are the most wounded, the most damaged, get seen first.
1: Hi, thanks for listening to Doorknob Comments. I'm Farah White.
2: And I'm Grant Brenner. We are psychiatrists on a mission to educate and advocate for mental health and overall well-being.
1: In addition to the obvious, we focus on the subtle, often unspoken dimensions of human experience, the so-called doorknob comments people often make just as they are leaving their therapist's office.
2: We seek to dispel misconceptions while offering useful perspectives through open and honest conversation. We hope you enjoy our podcast. Please feel free to reach out to us with questions, comments, and requests. It's a pleasure today to have my friend and colleague, Andrew Doc Berry. Andrew Berry is a Maverick psychologist and psychoanalyst, and he practices in Niskayuna, New York, which is near Schenectady. He is a subject matter expert specializing in PTSD and other mental health needs of veterans and first responders. Thank you for your service and to all of the people you help as well for their service and sacrifice. He has published on this topic as well as lecturing across the country at analytic institutes, both national and international conferences he was recently elected to the board of the world federation for mental health and is the regional vice president of north america he is a distinguished practitioner and fellow of the national academies of practice as well as a fellow of the american board of clinical psychology and american board of counseling psychology he has too many professional degrees to spell out which include two doctorates psychoanalytic training at the William Allenson White Institute, and he teaches and lectures. In addition, Dr. Berry is a proud volunteer firefighter with Niskayuna District 2, an emergency medical technician, and a Freemason. Welcome, Doc. Thanks, man. Thanks a lot. Good to see you again. Howdy, howdy.
1: Thanks so much for your time and for being here today. I think we're just really interested in hearing about your path, how you uh, got interested. I know you do a lot of work with uh, veterans, with first responders, what that's been like lately.
2: How did you get to be the person that
0: you are? It wasn't easy. I was raised in uh, Columbia County in a small town, and I was not always academically bent, shall we say. I barely scraped out of high school and then went on to do everything that Grant just did Specified, and the reason for this was, quite frankly, without going into the details, I was fighting a 20-year battle with depression. That kind of, uh, it, it, once you've once you've been through something like that, you you find yourself able to empathize with others and help others. Hence the term, the uh, the wounded healer. <laughs> Dad was uh, in New York State Library Service for 37 years. Mom was a freelance writer and homemaker, and I'm an only child. When I was growing up, it seemed as though I was surrounded by veterans. Um, My father served stateside during the last year of World War II. He was too young to go overseas and the war was winding down at that point. My maternal grandfather was a combat officer in the army, decorated. He was served uh, in Southern Bavaria. I can tell you quite a few of the neighbors we're also veterans, uh, largely of World War II and uh, many of Korea and Vietnam. And it's it's an odd thing to say out loud, but most of the World War II guys are gone. Yeah. They've they've aged out there well into their 90s now. And I never thought I'd see the day where, I, where that would happen because they seem so eternal and so indestructible. But time marches on. Anyway, I was raised on the stories that they were telling – The stuff that they let me in on wasn't the stuff that you see in the movies. It's not a lot about a a lot of flag waving stuff. It's about sheer terror. Yeah. And that made quite an impact on me. For whatever reason, I found as I started getting a little bit more successful in grad school, churning my way through one degree after another, that uh, vets and first responders would open up to me. They, they,
2: they really respond to you. I, I even see it on Facebook, you know, um, and it's amazing how available you are. I just not apologize for interrupting, but uh, it's touching often, you know, the things that, that people say and how sort of there you are for people and how understood they feel.
0: I, I do try. They do tell me things. I've never seen combat. I have never seen what those guys have seen. And they tell me about these things Anyway, now the significance of that is, it's akin to somebody giving you a piece of their soul. And I started thinking about veterans first responders and their emotional needs in terms of national triage for for those of us in this profession, especially the mental health profession. I came to understand triage from uh, the television show MASH and the movie MASH, which was hugely impactful on me when I was a kid.
2: Me too. Um, Me too. Did you ever see that yeah. show, Farah? I didn't. Mm-mm. Do yourself
0: a favor. It's <laughs> anyway. one
2: of the reasons I became a doctor, and for a little really? while, a surgeon. Wow. Yeah,
0: and it's one of the reasons why I became the kind of doctor that I am. I'm not a surgeon, but okay. I I loved the ma- the lead character, Hawkeye Pierce. Um, He's the big brother and uncle and father figure we all wish we could have had when we were growing up in the mm-hmm. 70s. Triage is explained as those who are the most wounded, the most damaged, get seen first. And I started thinking about what that means as far as mental health goes. The person I'm about to describe to you could be not just this guy, not the guy I know, but so many others. Um, grows up in a house with a tough relationship with his parents, joins the Marines sees combat, gets out of the Marines, goes into uh, the National Guard, sees more combat, comes home, oh, and is wounded in combat, by the way. Then he he starts a career in law enforcement. the The memory that wakes him up at night still is him getting called to a car fire, and there is a girl inside the car burning up and screaming, and he can't do anything about it. And then there—that's the one that wakes him up emotionally. And then there's the physical stuff that he went through, being struck by vehicles while on scene, etc. Folks, there are many, many, many people out there who are uh, who have had those kinds of experience more than we we would care to think. And because they are so physically compromised. And he is disabled now. He is he is 100% out. He's, he's gone. These people need our attention first and foremost. The problem is these people often, all they have is their insurance. They can't afford to pay out of pocket. And that kind of puts psychoanalysts in a position where uh, they are thought of as the specialists in diseases of the rich, shall we say. Mm-hmm. That doesn't do our profession any good and it wedges a distinction between white collar and blue collar that doesn't need to be there. These are the people who need us the most and often see us the least. They are they are tended to by people with like maybe one-tenth the level of training and the results are mediocre at best so anyway this guy is just emotionally he hes constantly on patrol in his head like they all are it's called hyper mm-hmm. he's looking around the room he's watching even though he and i've worked together for years he's watching what i do with my hands my facial expressions listening any anything that goes by out out the window like like a bird or branches swinging the breeze these are the kinds of things these guys will be paying attention to for the rest of their lives uh, because if they don't, per their training, that's the thing that's going to get them killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, veterans are all around us. Okay. They often come home from these god-awful tours of duty in combat. There are many who, who do not see combat, uh, and, but then they go into fields such as police work, um, firefighting, security emergency medicine and whatnot the way you can think about this is to john q taxpayer to whom i am presumably speaking it on the surface it's a life on the surface it's a lifetime of service to others Mm -hmm. okay on a deeper level it's a lifetime of trauma
2: this is an injustice and it's a blatant injustice Yes, it is. It,
0: I, I'd go so far as to say it's a blatant injustice. I got a big mouth and I fight for them, you know, as, as, as often as I can. Thanks to the advanced technologies of brain, brain scanning, um, not just CAT scans, but the stuff that's come out after that, the central nervous system changes over time because of repeated exposure. It's affected. And we are not talking about in terms of they have bad memories of combat. Yeah, that's part
2: of it. Yeah, the but, wiring yeah. has changed and there's differences in, um, mm-hmm. in circuit activity. There's much mm-hmm. greater activity in the fear centers. Memory is not um, integrated, meaning that people um, are not in the present moment, <clears throat> you know, as you're saying mm-hmm. with the hypervigilance, mm-hmm. like you're somewhere else. Yes. And sometimes that's called an invisible wound. Yeah. PTSD. yeah it is and and
0: these guys are going to spend the rest of their lives on super high alert they are not the same person they were uh prior to joining and they're not getting anywhere near the level of attention that they need and this is what my soapbox here is here today and i and i, I admit it I've been honored to work with these guys and as well as first responders, high caliber individuals who run toward danger, thinking thinking nothing of themselves because they are driven to serve. But there's a huge emotional and physical price that comes along with that. There is no more grateful a patient population than veterans. If you can work your way past the walls of defense, which are there for a good reason and prove your worth, those guys will follow you through hell with a pail of water. The loyalty is, is tremendous, and it's, it's very gratifying. The, the, my consulting room, rather bizarrely decorated, though it may be that I'm sitting in right now, I just moved into about three months ago, and I had to tell my patients, many of whom were vets and are vets and first responders, that I was changing locations. I had several of them offering to help lug and lift heavy boxes of books, Mm -hmm. furniture. One of them offered me his truck. They, uh, the guys who were in their 70s and their 80s are saying, Doc, you can't lift like you used to. So I'm going to grab <laughs> a couple of my nephews, my grandsons. Mm-hmm. We'll all come to end because of ethical reasons. Obviously, you can't accept that. but mm-hmm. And you explain that to them. And they get it. But, uh, you know, when you have experiences like that with these guys, with tears welling up in mm-hmm. my eyes, you know, who wouldn't want to treat these guys? They are magnificent and they are also emotionally very fragile and in deep, deep levels of pain. A long time ago, Christmas, and this is a friend of mine, not a patient, and he's very open about this, so I can I can tell this story. It's Christmas Eve. I'm at my in-law's church, and my phone goes off in my pocket. And lo and behold, it's a guy I met on a website a number of years ago. I'd never spoken with him on the phone, never met him in person, but he liked the stuff that I was writing and the thoughts I was offering about PTSD. I said, Hey man, what's going on? Turns out he and his wife, and, oh, by the way, just to give you an idea of his background, he he served for a grand total of 22 years. Uh, he worked his way up to being what's known as a recon marine, also known as reconnaissance. For those who don't know, that's kind of like special forces to the Marine Corps. It's what the SEALs are to the Navy, the Green Beret is to the Army, et cetera, et cetera. So,
2: that training and, is particularly rigorous and oh, yeah. selects for people who are very high, uh, innately, very highly resilient. I Oh, yeah. But in any case, they, they do things that are, you know, you can't imagine it for most people. You know, for example, I think one of the things that SEALs have to do to finish their training, there were two things I remember uh, among uh, several. One is that you have to, with your hands and arms and legs tied together, you have to go up and down 50 times in a swimming pool um, from the surface to the bottom. And on the last round, you have to pick up a mask and bring it to the surface. And then the final training, I think, is either 48 or 72 hours In, like, San Francisco Bay, Mm -hmm. where you have to stay in the water with a boat right next to you. And if you get out of the boat, which you're allowed to do at any point, you know, you don't finish training. But if you stay in the water the whole time, you know, then you do. So, this is the kind of thing that this gentleman has been able to do. Yep,
0: and he came back uh, with a TBI, traumatic brain injury. My phone goes off in my in my in my pocket, and it's him. And I said, "What's going on?" And it's it turns out he and his wife and their see what I'm doing with my fingers here. Six kids, all his, all hers, one marriage. Six kids uh, were snowbound, going up to uh, for, for a family get together, uh, heading north. The van started to overheat and being, or malfunction in some way, and being the self-sufficient Marine that he is, he pulls over and tries to fix it himself. He pops open the hood, notices that the uh, radiator hose is loose, tries to tighten it down, gets a whiff of antifreeze, and all of a sudden, Boom. He's back in Iraq was a trigger of triggers for hours upon hours of dry heaves, adrenaline blasts, stuff that none of us mere mortals can imagine. You're saying the
2: smell of the antifreeze is a smell Mm -hmm. that was familiar. Odor is an incredibly powerful
0: memory Mm -hmm. trigger. So he smelled something pretty much like that. Years prior to combat and he was flashing back and obviously effectively back there in his mind. He is calling me from the van with a phone in one hand and a gun in the other and his wife and their six kids were across the street in a restaurant wondering if daddy was going to come out alive. He tried calling everybody else he served with, and because it was Christmas Eve, voicemail, 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 voicemail. I'm the only, the last number he had, I was the only one who picked up. I became hyper-focused. I became as present as I possibly could with my eyes closed, just trying to imagine his face and so on and so forth. And I kept it simple. I just did a lot more listening than talking, and all I did was de-escalate deescalate, 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 deescalate. Calm, calm, calm. And it's, the whole thing took maybe 15, 20 minutes, Cops? I said to him before we hung up, using much harsher language than I'm using now because that's the only thing that registers with these guys. I said, listen, schmuck, are you safe? Yeah, doc, I'm safe. And I said, you sure? Because after church, I'm gonna be calling you back. And then over the next few days, I'm gonna be calling you back. You don't pick up on the first ring. I know where your ass is. I will call down 911 on your head. Do I make myself clear? I just became super directive and whatnot.
2: Well, it's interesting because, to my ear, sorry to interrupt, but it it almost sounds like you're using military language like I'm going to call down 911 on your head, like I'm going to bring in an airstrike. Mm -hmm. (laughs)
0: Pretty much. Mm -hmm. You you do what you have to 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 put it in parlance so these guys can understand. And I kept checking up on him over the next few days. Um, I don't know the specifics of what he got for aftercare. But he is still alive, he is still fine, he is still well. Now, summer of 2014, uh, my wife and two kids and I were heading down south to do vacation, where we usually were doing it at the time. And we stopped stopped by to visit the man himself. And uh, we pull in the driveway, the front door pops open and there he is. He doesn't even say hello, he just grabs my hand and bear hugs me. And then he invites me and my wife and my two kids inside to meet his wife and their 10 kids, (laughs) 10 children. Uh, So, you know, we compared notes about that day, but he calls over the four littlest ones and they're all boys. And he says, you, 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 and you front and center. So these four little boys dutifully present themselves, cute, cute little guys. And, um, and my buddy says, so doc, not only did you save, my life that night you saved theirs too that's one of those moments in my career when i finally realized that apparently i am here for a purpose and i've just been running with it and running with it and running with it i have a grand total of one publication it's the basics of uh, an interpersonal psychoanalytic approach to working with veterans and as um Grant was saying, we've delivered this lecture now 14 times across the country, twice at LA Psychoanalytic, twice at Boston Psychoanalytic at Dwight Institute, and it keeps going. It seems to work. When I do this presentation, normally, for those of you who don't know, if you do a psychoanalytic presentation, you have a discussant who riffs off whatever your paper happens to be what they like what they don't like etc cetera, etc cetera. and when i came up with this cockamamie idea back in 2015 i thought why on earth do i want another analyst as a discussant why not get a veteran so i got on the blower with my buddy nate uh my buddy nate who uh, served in the marine corps 22 years not the same individual i was talking about before um, he received two combat action ribbons Uh, In other words, he survived two wars, as well as a bunch of other decorations, and he works in the Pentagon. I said, will you do this with me? And he says, where and when do you want me? It's gone viral it Mm -hmm. we also did it as a uh, as a webinar
1: if people wanted to see it where would they be able i have tried to pull it up
0: by doing a general search in youtube Mm -hmm. and for whatever reason i can't do it however Mm -hmm. i can forward the link to on to anybody who's who's interested okay great. and it's not just us presenting it's other analysts Mm -hmm. presenting uh and, and it's all about veterans my our section of it starts like one hour and three minutes into it, but I'd advise yeah. anybody to watch the whole thing. Yeah. When we delivered this uh, presentation at the Psychoanalytic Psychotherapy Study Center in New York, one of the founding directors who was my first star, my first supervisor during doctorate number one, she hit the nail on the head. She said, what makes, it? she says, you're entirely right to have a veteran as you're discussing because that takes this presentation from being academic and cerebral to visceral and experiential. Nate being the kind of guy that he is, he tells everybody, ask me any question you want. If I get, if I burst into tears, so what I do this because I I want to help the cause and it's healing for me. And on many occasions, we have had people like wiping their eyes. He starts speaking about his experiences yeah. and the experiences of others. And it, he he gets most of the questions, not oh. me, which is exactly the way it should be. Yeah. I'm just a stagehand around here.
1: I, and it certainly sounds like it must be very moving, you know, to hear about his experiences. And I'm wondering if there are ever times where it feels kind of like a lot for you and what you do to take care of yourself. Um, And how to manage like either any vicarious trauma.
0: I I must either have thick skin or just the right constitution for this, because as it were, I don't think I take it home with me. I cope with what I do, and I'm seeing, because I, I, I live in the world of mangled health, I mean uh, managed health care. That's a joke, folks. I'm kidding. Where I'm forced to take insurance payments, unfortunately. Um, so I have to see quite a lot of people. I'm cranking out 45, 40 to 45 sessions every week. Wow. And I, as Grant will tell you, he knows me pretty well. I have, shall we say, a sense of humor that goes quite beyond pale. Mm -hmm. Um, I laugh at people's funerals, up to and including my own parents. Um, Yes, I could tell you stories. Answering fire calls helps, believe it or not. It brings me as Mm -hmm. close to the heat, no, for Mm -hmm. once, no pun intended, as I can, so I can can get as close to that world as I possibly can. Mm -hmm. When I'm dealing with one of these guys and they are finally telling me stuff that they've kept hidden away for 20, 30, 40 years, It's like every synapse is is alive. It feels like I'm right where I'm supposed to be. i do is just go in and do the thing that i do yeah. and the guys tell me they feel better so yeah I, i'm sure there i'm sure there are other approaches i just it's it's not my it's not within my bailout. Right.
1: i think um it's important for people to hear that because when we are learning about all of these novel ways um to treat ptsd and i know uh have a, a very good friend that I trained with in residency who works in the in the VA system as a psychiatrist. And um, I really do think that having the connection and feeling like someone cares and bearing witness to what people go through is such an important part of processing trauma.
0: And we also have to remember now, I realize with what I'm about to say, I'm in the presence of two psychiatrists. I get that. But I'm sorry, folks. I don't like the DSM. Neener, neener, neener. <laughs> PTSD is defined in the DSM and, and other quote-unquote disorders is so narrow and so dry and so devoid of humanity because it goes so much deeper and it goes so much wider.
2: Do you get a lot of defensive reactions though? Do people seem offended if, if you criticize the, the DSM definition of PTSD?
0: Once in a while, somebody gets a little harumphy, I suppose, but not as much as uh, as, as it was in the glory days of yesteryear. Um, PTSD
2: you know, was only added to the DSM in 1980, and that was, you know, arguably also an improvement over, you know, not having a concept of it, or maybe calling it, um, the Royal Air Force used to call what we think of now as post-traumatic stress, lack of moral fiber, Um mm. So I'm sure there's pros and cons, but I agree with you. It, it doesn't capture sort of the, the depth of what things mean for people.
0: Uh, the, and I'm about to riff off George Carlin here for, for a minute when he talks about euphemisms. And one of the things he talks about was the old definition of PTSD, which was from World War One shell shock, simple, honest, direct language. And then it became operational exhaustion, that safe, distancing, dry, scientific jargon, dehumanizing language. And it gets longer and longer. And he, he says in his own funny way, we're up to eight syllables now, but now we've added a hyphen, whoopee, you know. Um, it doesn't need to be renamed because we think if we if we rename the the condition, we're gonna change the condition. And that's, that's just not the case. Shell shock will do. Um, and when you have seen I Up close myself, wanting to
2: argue a little bit. <laughs> Bring it on. Not really um, argue, but make a case that where I think diagnosis can be useful is helping to make sure that important, you know, problems are identified and addressed. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have a problem calling it shell shock, but I like I like that they changed the DSM recently um, so that it includes now the definition of PTSD. It used to just include re-experiencing symptoms, um, avoidance and emotional numbing, you know, and hyperarousal, like the hypervigilance, getting angry, but they've included cognitive difficulties and depression. So on Mm -hmm. one hand, I agree with you. On the other hand, I think if you use it well as a clinician, it's to serve people better and help identify areas... That are causing suffering and dysfunction. Yeah, that, I'm not. I'm not uh, saying get rid of it. Just just widen it out for mm-hmm. God's sake. I, I agree. And the the uh, European ICD 11. Um, this is you know related for people with severe developmental trauma. Um, they have complex PTSD, which is much more similar. You know what you're describing with combat veterans. Complex PTSD or yep. chronic PTSD is not included in the DSM 5. And it includes these huge effects on a person's life, not just like you know exposure to something really bad. The the other thing I'm curious if if you are familiar with or if you if you think is useful or not is the um, the moral injury construct.
0: Very much so. Um, some people tell me what their feelings are, quite frankly in plain English, about killing. Some some of them come back and are. Many of them come back and are profoundly disturbed once it settles in what they had to do to keep themselves alive and their brothers and sisters in battle alive. Others, on the other hand, can live with it. It's the wonderful world of individual differences. At least that's how it was presented to us in grad school 100 years ago. Here in society, you know, the, uh, these folks are the are the people we rely on to keep us safe on the worst days of our lives. The worst days when we ha- find ourselves having to deal 911. The men and women come barreling over the hill, sirens, lights and sirens flashing to come to our aid.
1: I agree so, completely. And what would that look like to you in terms of either expanding services because you're obviously one of the foremost experts and are seeing 40 or 45 people a week and able to make a huge difference, but on a on a bigger scale, what can you imagine we could do as a country?
0: Well, we have to change our minds about, uh, about mental health needs. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the missions, by the way, of the World Federation for Mental Health. As, and as Grant said, I happen to be a board member, and that is mental health services for all. We here in this country still stigmatize um, emotional difficulties. I mean, when you're sitting somebody next to somebody on a bus with a broken leg and a visible cast and a cane or a walker, you don't think anything of it. However, when you're sitting next to somebody on a bus who is having a conversation with nobody in a language that's almost impossible to decipher and is mentally, quote unquote, out of it, whatever that may be defined people start acting like it's a contagion, like it's catching, like this person's crazy is going to rub off on me. I don't understand. I'm scared and therefore I need to get away from it. That's what I mean when I say stigma. The stigma that vets get, you know, when they come home from combat, they're automatically, oh, one of those crazy veterans. And they are ostracized by their very own countrymen who called upon them to serve to begin with. Houston, Houston, we have a problem here. I, I, I still remember, I'm, I'm from you know a couple generations ago uh, where, as I say, veterans were the norm and veterans were everywhere and looked up to because of, for better, for worse, because of World War II, mm-hmm. Korea and whatnot. Those numbers have gone down because there hasn't been an international conflict of that size. They're not as visible as they once were which adds to people,
2: yeah, get involved in combat. There's more automation and fewer people Uh playing combat. But I wonder if some of it is also the nature of the conflicts are more morally ambiguous nowadays. Since Vietnam, it was not clear cut, right, as World War II or even Korea.
0: I stay out of the politics, quite frankly, Mm -hmm. Um, because when uh, when the military gets sent over to do a job, um, it's the politicians send them. It's all about um, achieving a political objective. I'm not going to get into that fight because as we've seen over the past several months, several years, politics are bringing out the Jekyll and Hyde in us all.
2: Oh, yeah. I described it as that earlier today about about the U.S., but it affects the veterans because the politics change the way people view them. And that's, that's exactly the point. You
0: know, at the end of the day, these guys are coming home, not the same people as they were when they went over. So the issue is not the political nonsense and often sheer ineptitude that puts these guys in harm's way. The reality is that that we should be focusing on is tending to their needs and treating, giving them the level of respect that they, that they absolutely deserve. Tommy Franks, I heard Tommy, General Tommy Franks speak once and he said, what, what do we owe our veterans? And he said in that unmistakable voice, he says, all there is. And because of the incredible amount of trauma that they've undergone, as well as what they've seen in the civilian world, I tend to agree with that.
2: It's kind of a, a it's a national shame of sorts. And I I hear that's where your mission is and uh, to
0: try to advocate for them to try to point out that uh, veterans are all around us it's just because, because we can't see them doesn't mean they're not there they are absolutely there
2: in the sense of belonging you know which is so much a part of military training and how that group cohesion can be so easily lost when people you know become civilians again and you know how does the military help transition back And, you know, that's a longer discussion Mm -hmm. than we can get into. Sure. Uh, The last thing that people
0: need to know is the way veterans and first responders are trained is to think of themselves absolutely last. Absolutely last. And everybody around them first. Now, what this translates into as far as how they are so misunderstood by civilians, when civilians act selfishly with each other, It's damaging and hurtful, but it's nowhere near to be true. I'm not trying to diminish that at all, but compared to when veterans see or experience selfishness, the effect on these men and women is visceral. Why? Because of the way they were trained. And a nanosecond of selfishness out in the bush can wipe out an entire platoon. That's betrayal, right? Uh, it can be experienced, yes, as betrayal, as you thought of yourself instead of everybody else. And now there's a crater where 10 soldiers once were. Mm-hmm. Pe- people need to understand that their commitment towards service is so total. Yeah. And when when selfishness takes place, that's why they react as viscerally as they do, and that's why one of the many reasons why civilians just don't understand, and that's why also civilians can't say they just don't get when you get out of the military. Well, that that was your training in the military; you're not in the military anymore. Yeah, you are.
2: Most people don't understand that it's a hard bri- it's a hard bridge to to gap uh, mm-hmm. because as you started today, you, you know, war movies. Tell uh, a very different story. Um, I've done some work with veterans and a lot of work with trauma. There's a couple of books uh, if people want to learn um, about veterans' experience. Maybe you have some recommendations. But "War and the Soul" by Edward Tick is is quite good, I think. And there are two books by Lieutenant David Grossman called "On Killing" and "On," yep. which are really tough reads. But "On Combat" in particular dispels any myths about about combat being glamorous. And,
0: and that's that's it, you know, just two things. Um, yes to all the above, I've heard of those authors, by all means, but when I try to educate families about why dad is so crazy acting sometimes, quote unquote crazy, I have them, if they're up to it, sit through the opening beach scene of a movie called Saving Private Ryan. That is the World War II epic of the landing on D-Day of, on Omaha Beach and Normandy Beach. And it was about as graphic as Steven Spielberg could make it. A lot of guys went and saw it and had to go back into treatment because, because of what it brought up. And I tell families, this is what goes on in dad's mind, not World War II. But these are the kinds of things that go on in their minds they can't turn off and that wake them up out of a, out of a sound sleep.
2: It's very hard for people to, to get it if they haven't experienced it. Mm-hmm. But you never want anyone to experience it.
0: But that's the that's the best way I can suggest to, be, in addition to the reading that you you were talking about, about bringing yourself as close to, mom or dad's experience as you possibly can. So it's like, okay, that's what he has to live with. Mm-hmm. The other thing I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of garbage on Facebook. Gee, really, I hadn't noticed. <laughs> but there's a few nuggets that you can, that are eternal. I'll try not
2: to take that (laughs) person.
0: Hey, I'm on there too. And you see the kinds of jokes I, 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 I post. I know I almost
2: reported you to your professional board last week.
0: (laughs) Thank you. I love you too. Anyhow, (laughs) it was, uh, it, it was a meme and it was basically, it was a skull on the top of it. It said, I'm not the knight in shining armor that you wanted. And on the bottom, it says, I'm the monster that you needed. And that right there is one of the cornerstones of post-traumatic stress disorder, is what they had to turn themselves into to stay alive, to follow orders, et cetera, et cetera. And then they got to come back and all of a sudden turn back into a civilian
2: and forget all that ain't going to happen. Thank you for sharing that. It's a hard truth to hear, but it's important to keep saying it.
1: Mm, It sounds like um, this is certainly the most important work. I absolutely agree that the people who need it the most seem to to get it, you know, the least. And that's something, Mm -hmm. you know, that people like you and people in this field are working on changing. So thanks.
0: We
2: do try. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Changing people's
0: minds is the hardest thing in the world.
2: You know, I feel similarly about developmental trauma in some ways, and I drew that parallel earlier from a neuroscientific point of view. Some of the imaging studies you were referring to, the the brains of combat veterans and the brains of adults who were abused as children have very similar changes in them. And there's a sense of like living in war is something that you can't understand um, unless you've lived it. I want to mention, ask... Um you know you said you 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 said you you're I believe I believe you but I'm a little um I'm a little lost for words cuz it moved but you are a firefighter yeah and an EMT so mm-hmm. I wonder if that work comes in with your work with veterans in any way I undertook it because uh, mm-hmm. I mean there's a little
0: kid in me who always wanted to put out a fire You know, I I, because of the because I have what's known as sarcoidosis, um, I've got a spot of it in my lung and I can't go in wearing a bottle and be an interior firefighter. Unfortunately, I've been medically disqualified. So I grew the beard back, even though I passed all the tests. I'm the exterior fighter. I'm the fat old guy who lugs and lifts ladders and brings equipment around. I'm the one that the public sees. And because of the skill set that I've got, uh, if I ever am called in to calm down a hysterical homeowner, I'm right where I should be.
2: That's great. Mm. I remember when you shaved your beard, but I see. Oh yeah, it was
0: that was an atrocity. Wound. Yeah,
2: this 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 is my trademark. Yeah, you're Santa working for you. It's, it's
0: also free dental floss. <laughs> oh ew. Like I said, humor
2: gets us through. Yeah, definitely. Tom, um, I, I have to watch my humor, you know, for the podcast, but mm. right, I'm right there with you. Otherwise, uh, Farrah will have them edit out my comments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're just no fun at all. Well, you know, today in today's um, environment, you know... Um, the cancel culture, and you know, you've 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 lived with these sort of battling against the bounds of conventionalism, you know, your whole life, as have I, I think. And that's a whole other story for a different day, I think. Um, just mm-hmm. the um, how stultifying it can be. Though it ties in with what you were saying, I think, about being depressed for a long time. You know, I, I grew up with some of these issues and bullying and just being a bit of an oddball, you know, um, and being uh, ostracized and stigmatized. And that probably helps us who work with these tough issues to, to understand what it's like to be, as they say, othered, you know, mm-hmm. to be excluded. Yeah.
0: T.S. Eliot uh, wrote so many years ago, Do I Dare Disturb the Universe? That made quite an impression on me when I read it the first time. And that's exactly what I try to do every day. I am here to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable.
2: (laughs) I wish you could see your maniacal expression. (laughs) (laughs) We'll share the screenshot. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, He's here to help people.
0: Jesus. Right. Anyway, but uh, it's folks at the end of the day, it's the exceptions who wind up making the rules.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here. And is there a way that people can, I don't know, hear more about what you're doing? Do you have, are you a website or? Find me on Facebook.
0: I'm developing a website. Find me on LinkedIn. Somebody get a hold of Grant. Grant knows how to get a hold of me. Blah blah <laughs> blah, blah blah blah.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, we'll share it, um, and we'll share we'll share the link with you as well, so you can share it with. With your people. Exactly. Looking forward to it. And I appreciate it, folks. Thanks. Thanks Thanks for sharing your message and your personal experience. Glad to be here. Anything for the cause. Mm -mm. They deserve it. Have a good
0: day.
1: Thanks for listening to Doorknob Comments. We're committed to bringing you new episodes with great guests. Please take a moment to share your thoughts. We'd love it if you could leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. You can also find us on Instagram at Doornab Comments.
2: Remember, this podcast is for general information purposes only and does not constitute the practice of psychiatry or any other type of medicine. This is not a substitute for professional and individual treatment services and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. If you feel that you may be in crisis, please don't delay in securing mental health treatment. Thank you for listening.